I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. This week, the world lost a great man, a great supporter of tennis, and the tennis parent I aspired to be when Steve Johnson Sr. passed away. He was a true giant, not just in the physical sense, but also in his personality and his love for tennis, for the children that he worked with, for his friends, for his family. There was never a time that I was with Steve that he didn't have a smile on his face and that he didn't have the most positive things to say about whatever it was we were discussing. I will miss him. I know his family will too, and I hope you'll join with me in sending your thoughts and prayers to his wife, Michelle, and his children, Allison and Stevie. And now, my interview with Steve Johnson. Welcome to Parenting Aces on Blog Talk Radio's UR Tennis Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and I'm so happy to be here with you guys today. It's a rainy day in Atlanta, and um, so I'm happy to be indoors broadcasting right now. Just sent my son out to the courts, though, so um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of practice session he gets in. Thankfully, he's got a couple indoor courts available, so that's a good thing. But I um, am so excited today. We have as our guest Steve Johnson, who is the father of Steve Johnson Jr., who played for the University of Southern California, my daughter's alma mater, for four years and was on that championship-winning team four years in a row. Steve is also the singles NCAA champion for two years in a row and um, has moved on to a very successful start to his professional career. So I, I asked Steve Sr., for a little information, a little biographical information, so I could introduce him properly to you guys. And this is what he sent me, which I thought is really awesome. He says he is married to his high school sweetheart, Michelle. They've been married for 27 years. They have a daughter, Allison, who's 24. Obviously, Steve Jr., who's 22. He's lived in Orange, California his whole life and has been teaching tennis for 33 years and is currently the director of tennis at Rancho San Clemente Tennis and Fitness Club. He's been there since the year 2000, and he runs his own tennis academy called the Steve Johnson Tennis Academy. And he says he feels blessed in so many ways, which um, he is. He, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him actually at the NCAAs this past spring in Athens, Georgia, where he sat on a panel for um, a discussion on college tennis that was offered to high school players and their parents, and it was really, really terrific. I actually did a blog piece on that event, so for those of you interested, you can go to parentingaces.com and look that up. But again, I'm so pleased to have Steve here today. Before I bring him on air, though, I just wanted to give you guys a quick update on what's going on with the 2014 Junior Competition calendar changes. As you may know, the ITA Coaches Convention is going on in Naples, Florida, and USDA hosted a listening meeting for those college coaches yesterday. I posted an update on that meeting on parentingaces.com this morning, so please take a look and familiarize yourself with where we're headed. The news is looking a little bleak, I'm sad to say, and so I think it's going to be very important for those of us interested in seeing USTA put a pause or a total halt on these changes to really do a good job at educating ourselves, educating our fellow tennis parents, and making sure we use that let us know at USTA.com email address to express our concerns directly to USTA. If you can make it to a listening meeting in person, even better. But if you're not near one of the ones that are going to be happening, and actually the next ones are happening during uh, Winter Nationals this uh, next week. So uh, take a look. And again, if you can't make a listening meeting, please make sure to use that let us know at USTA.com email address and express your specific concerns to USTA directly. All right, enough on that. Um, I'm going to go to commercial real quick, and when we come back, today's guest, Steve Johnson. 
Welcome back to Parenting Aces on Blog Talk Radio's UR Tennis Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and I am so pleased to welcome our guest, Steve Johnson, to the show today. Steve, are you there? I am, Lisa. Well, thank you again for being with us. I know you are crazy busy and um, teaching your own students and, and I'm sure trying to spend time with your family before Steve heads down under for the Australian swing. But I I am just I'm so excited to have the opportunity to chat with you one on one and and hopefully we'll have some callers that uh call in with their own questions and comments. So before we kind of dive in, why don't you give our listeners a kind of a quick rundown of of what you're doing on a day to day basis with your academy and what your um what your interaction has been with Steve Jr. now that he's on the professional tour. All right. Well, uh, as I guess is in Atlanta, it's a little rainy here today, so uh, I'm in my office and the courts are empty. A little weird for us to get the rain, but uh, we need it. We are currently, you know, we run my tennis academy in the afternoon uh, with the kids. I'm a big believer in the kids going to school, that they can get their tennis in afterwards and so we do a great job of that. The guys uh, that work with me are great. Uh, I'm very lucky to be at San Clemente Tennis Club here in Rancho San Clemente. We've got 19 courts, so we have plenty of courts for the kids to hit and spread out. we got the weather year-round. Uh, so it, it, it's great. We really we really have a good situation here. Uh, I actually got to have dinner with Stevie last night. My wife and I went down to his uh, apartment. He has now got his own place down in Hermosa Beach, and he made dinner for my wife. It was her birthday Friday. And so uh, he will be leaving Christmas night for Australia, so he's training now. He's he's good to go. He's all back to ready. His shoulder's good, and he'll be looking, he's looking forward to going to Australia. Well, as I mentioned to you earlier, I have had the opportunity to see him play on a few different occasions, and it's it's so exciting to watch him. And I can't imagine, as his dad, the pride that you must feel when you see him out there working hard and competing hard on the court. So kudos to you and to your wife for doing such an amazing job raising a young man who, you know, not only has proven himself on the tennis court, but also academically to make it to USC and and make it through USC. My daughter went there as well, so I I know what it takes to graduate. Um, It's it's a a challenging place to be academically, so congratulations to y'all both. Thank you very much. It's it's been great. USC was his dream. It all worked out. Peter Smith was uh, the best thing ever for him. And, uh, you know, the records all speak for themselves. He, He really grew up there as a tennis player, as a person, and really got him ready for the next level. So we're very happy about everything. Well, so that kind of opens the door for us to talk a little bit about the path that you guys decided to go down um, once you realized that tennis was Stevie's sport of choice. And maybe you can, can share with all of us how you came to the realization that that he had what it was going to take to be successful on the tennis court and, you know, how how you kind of used the system that was available to get him where he needed to be. Um, you know, it, it's a real tricky one. Uh, there isn't a blueprint for how to get your child, you know, through the juniors, how to get to college, and if possible, to the next level, the pros. Um, it seems like everybody wants a blueprint, but it doesn't exist. Um, uh, the way I did it with Stevie isn't necessarily the way how to do it. It just worked for us. He's a very social kid, wanted to go to school. We were constantly bombarded once he hit 11, 12, 13 to go to one of the academies, and you know, it was free. And uh, But, you know, we didn't want to split up our family. We uh, we felt, especially being in Southern Cal, we have plenty of competition here. So, you know, we just played the local stuff. He played in his own division. I kept him in his own age group as much as possible. Um, his first year of every age group, though, he was number one in the section and ended up being number one in the country. So then his second year he would play up, but he had already proven himself at his own level. Um, one of the things that I'm constantly arguing with parents about is they play their kids up. You know, they always say they play better against better competition and whatever. But the reality of that is they don't play better. It's just that it's okay to lose. 
and that mm-hmm. doesn't create a champion because the the hardest thing to do is win when you're expected. Um, so Stevie stayed with that his whole life, and then he also did that in his college career. Very few people have won NCAA's and or won championships in a state in college. Um, he did, and uh, it was it's a it's a storybook ending, but the pressure was pretty pretty large. I mean, I know I've heard Coach Smith, Peter Smith, talk about it, saying when Stevie came back his senior year. How, how stressful that was for the team because if they didn't win the championship, if Stevie didn't win NCAAs, it would have been written off as a bad year. So that whole team dealt with a lot of stress, and uh, they got through it. I mean, it was a storybook ending in Athens, and it, it was an incredible run. That's for sure. And and his transition into the professional level has been pretty seamless, it seems, which isn't always the case. Yeah, he's... Uh, he, well, he's you know he's blessed. He's very talented, very athletic, incredibly competitive. He had all the things. Uh, one of your earlier questions, I believe, was you know when did we know? You know he started playing tournaments at five. He could actually rally and play at four. Uh, at five years old, I let him play. Cause, you know I'm a tennis pro, so I would take him with me in the van when I take all the kids to go to tournaments. He kept asking me, when do I get to play? How come I'm just here hanging out cheering and warming people up? And so at five, he played and. Uh, a good friend of mine, Rance Brown, who's the women's coach at UCLA, I would always take him, see me over to Rance, and just to make sure I wasn't the crazy dad who thought his kid was really good. And Rance would always go, no, he's good. He's he's good. So it was actually Rance's idea. He works with Coach Stella Sampras at UCLA. When Stevie was just eight years old, Rance had us fly out to New York to the Open. He said, you need to bring Stevie out here and show him where he's going to play someday. And I've got pictures of him and me and Nick Volatari and Lizzie Davenport in New York. And uh, that's one of my favorite pictures here in my office is uh, him living that dream when he got to play a couple years ago in the qualifying, and now he's been in the main draw two years. That's so cool. That's very, very cool. Very cool story. So so starting at five years old, he started playing junior tournaments. I, I take it that you went through the USTA system of junior competition, Actually, we did not. Um, I I tried to, Lisa. I tried very hard to use the USTA because they have incredible, you know, ability to help financially, to help with coaching, to help with, you know, knowledge that I didn't know. You know, I hadn't had anybody at that highest level. I had several juniors who had played nationals, but no one quite at the level Stevie was going to be at. Uh, And so we tried. You know, uh, we had some great guys that helped us. Mike Sell was real good and helped us out. But... When they built Carson, you know, the Home Depot Center, the West Coast Training Center where, where he now trains, they were just adamant that he had to quit school, come there every day, do a homeschool, play the ITF circuit and such. And uh, that just wasn't the path we wanted. Stevie didn't want it. He liked going to school. He liked uh, he liked that part of his life. Uh, he also played high school tennis and wanted to play college. Several of my friends, Greg Patton, Rance Brown, as I've mentioned, Wayne Bryan, you know, they're all very, uh, their college coaches are very involved. And early on, Stevie's dream was to go to college and to win an NCAA championship. That was put in his head at a very young age. And uh, that's just not part of the USTA's development. You know, they're trying mm-hmm. to get kids to turn pro, get them into Grand Slams. And that's their business, and I understood that. But my business was to raise my son um, as a human being, and I just I just felt that there was other ways, and so we chose not to use them uh, at that time. You know, he he'd go down to Carson once in a while, hit with some of the guys who were in town, but he wasn't a part of their program. So it was it wasn't what I had hoped it was, but it has turned out fine. And so, but he did play USTA junior tournaments, or yes. did y'all go right to ITF when he was old yeah. enough? Yeah, or? he never played ITFs. That that was that was really a big problem. No, the only he only played one, uh, and that was you know the the Carson out here. The mm-hmm. it used to be the Winter International. We actually went there once when he was thirteen in Key Biscayne, and then they moved it to the spring to Carson, called the Spring International. And the only reason we did it was because it was you know twenty miles from our home. Because right. to play the ITF circuit means you can't really go to school. You you couldn't right. go to traditional school, and that's just something that uh, we at my house. We value. My wife's a math professor in college, um, 
and I just, I, my wife and I totally agree that school was where he needed to be. He wanted, he wanted to be in school. He didn't want to go be in the He goes, Dad, I don't want to play ten state hours a day. I think I'd hate it. So you know, he liked to do his two, three hours every afternoon and get on with the rest of his day. So um, we we stayed with the USTA system. We played locally, and I'm, you know, we're very lucky. Our USTA uh, in Southern Cal is very good. <laughs> playing right, good players. right. The, the group he grew up with was amazing. Uh, the group he grew up with in, in the Nationals, once he started playing uh, in the 12s, was unbelievable. You know, the kids were real good. They all pushed each other. It was quite a group. I mean, most almost every one of his friends played number one at a major college. Uh, pretty good group of kids. Nice group of kids as well, and really good tennis players. That's very cool. And and I'm assuming they've all stayed tight, you know, through their college time and, and you know, beyond. You know, they have. Um it, it, it's, it, it was really, you know, I don't know, I can't speak for other groups, but his years that he played were great. Uh, the kids all wanted to go to college. Um, the fact is that most people don't know that less than 5% of the kids who play uh, tennis in high school will play in college. And then the number, obviously, that plays college that can make it on the pro tour is even smaller than that. So right. I just think high school and college are such incredible goals for these kids to reach and to strive for. Uh, the pro tours, you know, that's the dream. But again, there's just there's only a couple of kids from every group who can make it at that level. So it's a pretty tough road. It is, and it's I, you know, the more I learn, uh, the more distressed I become as as a parent because you know my son is is 16. He's a high school sophomore, and um, really stays focused. Uh, you know, in our section, I mean, he's not playing, he's not traveling around the country or, you know, around the world playing tennis. He's playing mostly within our southern section, and it, and that's been fine for him. I mean, that's the yeah. level he's supposed to be playing at, at this right. stage uh, for his game. But, you know, his, his dream is to play college tennis. I mean, Stevie's one of his idols, and he looks up to him and, and has seen him play on several occasions, and Juan Isner is one of his idols and, you know, has had the opportunity to meet him on a couple of occasions. So um, I I think college tennis is such an admirable goal, and I think that a lot of people look at it as a cop-out maybe, you know, that, oh, he wasn't good enough to turn pro, so he had to settle for playing in college. And and I've just, you know, I wish we could do something to change that point of view because, I mean, they can't play tennis forever, and, and not at a level that's going to allow them to make a living, at least. And yeah. so um, it's that educational component, the social component of going to college is so important. And, um, you know, I, I hope more kids will adopt that as their long-term goal for their tennis, especially these little ones coming up. But, um, well, so, so talk a little bit about your um the process by which Steve decided to go to USC or did he always know USC was going to be the place for him <laughs> um you know it's kind of funny we you know again most of my friends are college coaches so we had a lot of a lot of jokes about that growing up where he was going to go um Greg Patton at Boise State would have been a great choice he's one of my favorites uh except my buddy Rance at UCLA SC I'd met Peter Smith going through a high performance program and you know, found out some real good things about other guys. You know, I met Steve Denton. Uh, you know, I met a lot of great coaches, and they were all really good guys who uh, have really outstanding programs. Uh, growing up, a kid named Case Bantoff um, was in the training center that I coached out here with, you know, the better 12 and unders. And Case ended up going to USC. And Case kind of put the USC bug in his ear. And uh, so we kind of started thinking that about 16, I think, that he really wanted to go to SC. And, so we started going to the matches on Fridays and Saturdays. We'd go watch him play. We kind of familiarize, familiarize ourselves with the school and the program, and he really liked it. And I think he was kind of set on that. He did take some trips um, just to make sure he was, you know, comparing everything equally. And it did come down, and it was just SC. Um, and it was nice for myself and my wife and the family. It's only you know 40 miles away, so we were able to attend the matches. Uh, and you know, be a part of it. So he, uh, I think he started fairly early, about 15, 16, thinking of SC, and it all worked out. And 
went pretty well. Yeah, I would say. I would say so. <laughs> and, I mean, for him, it was, you know, a little bit easier than it will be for most people's children who are listening to the show, um, being the number one recruit in the country, um, you know, certainly gives him lots of options. Uh, most kids don't don't have that. You know, there's only one number one each recruiting year. So for the rest of the kids who are not at the very top of their recruiting class, do you have some pointers, some tips for the parents to kind of help guide that whole recruiting process or, um, you know, anything you can can tell us that, that might help us get through it? Um, well, yeah, um, the, the coaches, you know, don't necessarily know who everybody is. With the Internet, they can find results. I think that's helped them become more knowledgeable. But I think the main thing with the kids that I have who are moving on to the next level, we just make sure that they introduce themselves to the coaches. And uh, most of the coaches that I know that I deal with, that I golf with and talk to about it, they all like it that the kid, you know, the child takes the initiative and writes the letter, writes the email, uh, creates the contact. Uh, they, they like to see that. So there's a lot of good kids out there who, who end up going to a really good program because they, they just took the first step. They took the initiative. They called the coach. They introduced themselves, told them what their schedule this where I'll be playing so they can check out the results or possibly see them. Um, mm-hmm. In Southern Cal, during our sectionals, which is the end of June, a lot of college coaches make the trip uh, to see the you know the girls and boys play because we have a lot of good kids out here. We're just, you know, we're loaded with kids. So, you know, they do get to see them a little bit, but the key is is that they have to introduce themselves. And the other thing is that, you know, tennis is a small world. Everybody talks. Um, coaches call me every year and ask me if I have anybody. Or they call and ask me if I know somebody. Have you seen this kid play? Have you seen this young lady play? You know, what do you know about them? How are they going to be? Would they fit on my team? You know? What do you think? And so, you know, they're, they're looking. You know, they're always looking for answers to make good decisions. They want to make a choice that this kid will last four years, be a great part of the team, get to school and not be a problem. So, you know, it's it's a small world, but there's ways of getting there. It's it's difficult, um, you know, even with being, you know, one of the top recruits, it was so difficult. You know, there were difficult choices, difficult decisions, you know. At that time, I think it's the biggest decision they make in their life. Sure. What school sure. they're going to go to? I always joke, Stevie, and said before, all you cared about was, you know, am I going out Friday night? Who am I going to the prom with? And you know, when's my next tennis match? So, it's a big, right. it's a big decision. And you know, sometimes it doesn't work. If you look through history, a lot of kids leave. A lot of kids leave schools. You know, they find out they're not going to play there, and they want to play, so they end up going to a different school. Um, you know, not, nothing's. Nothing's easy. It's it, it's definitely a process you want to go through. And I'm in the business, and it was hard. I mean, I think I have access to about every everything I can. And, you know, it was difficult. So, you know, I try to educate my parents. Uh, they just need to get out and ask questions, you know, find out what's going on. Well, I think that's the key. I think, um, you know, as parents, we, we really have to try to help our kids navigate through all this because it is so complicated. And like you said, there's not a blueprint that works for every single junior player. Each kid is different. Um, Each family is different, has different concerns and limitations. And and so, you know, trying to figure out and navigate through all of this and, and find what works best for your one particular situation. And, and even families that have multiple children playing tennis don't necessarily go down the same path for each child, which, you, you know, won't. I can't even imagine that. Um, I'm, I'm thankful every day that I only have one tennis playing kid. Um, I can't imagine trying to navigate this for multiple ones. Yeah. But but I've talked to parents a lot who have two, three, four kids playing tennis, and they're in different age groups and they're different genders and, you know, trying to manage travel and training and, you know, all of that is just, oh, it's overwhelming. It, it, it but, has to be. Like you said, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you are. At 10 years old, my daughter said, I really don't want to play tennis. And uh, it broke my heart, but you know, I could tell it wasn't her thing. And she found yeah. her way into other things. She played every sport. I mean, she ended up going to college playing water polo. 
and did oh, really wow. well. You know, she was she was athlete of the year in junior high, athlete of the year in high school. Um, went to a junior college where my wife teaches. They talked her into playing. She didn't really want to play anymore. They talked her in. She's a goaltender in water polo, and uh, brutal sport. Boy, that's a tough one. Um, yeah. And you know, I didn't really know the path on that. That's that was out of mind. So she kind of did it on her own. And uh, just with Stevie alone, it was tough. You know, again, just having a sibling. You know, Allison didn't right. want to go to watch all his tennis matches, and uh, <laughs> so we had to figure out what to do with her. And you know, right. we try to be. You know, my wife liked to go watch Stevie, and I like to go watch Allie. So you know, it was tricky with just two kids and one tennis player. So as you said, with multiple kids playing with different ages and nationals being in different places, it it, it can become an absolute nightmare for these parents to get their kids to different places to continue on the path they want to be on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's let's kind of switch gears a minute. And and actually, before we do that, I want to just give out our call-in number in case anybody wants to call in with questions or comments for Steve. That number is 714-583-6853. Again, 714-583-6853 if you have any comments or questions for me or for Steve Johnson. Um, so I wanted to switch gears for a moment and let you put on your junior coaching hat for a minute, Steve, if you don't mind. And and let's talk about how you are um, guiding the parents of the junior players that you've got now through the the changes that are look like they're coming down the pike. Um, how are you helping these kids and these families get prepared to kind of navigate through the, the system as it's coming forward? Um, it's, it's, it's really been difficult because, you know, it changes so often. You, know, you kind of get something figured out, and then the tournaments change, the rules change, how you get to nationals changes. Um, so it is tricky. It, it's, uh, it's something you really got to stay up on. Uh, with the 10 and unders using the softer balls, with, you know, the kids are all wanting to play up. Uh, I'm sorry, the parents wanting the kids to play up, the kids not really sure what to do. Um, my, my biggest concern is that the kids the kids don't always play in their right, their right level. Um, you know, parents have a lot of downtime when they go to tournaments. There's a lot of waiting, waiting for matches and whatever. And the parents all start talking to each other, and sometimes some crazy ideas come out of it. And my parents will come back to me and say, how come we're not doing this or that? And I'm always curious as to where that information came and then I find out. But it's it's tricky because in Southern Cal the competition is really difficult. You know, we rank several hundred kids in every age division. And uh so our kid might be hundred and fifty in a section and then they find out some kid they've beaten was, you know, top forty in another section and it bothers them and they won't get to nationals and if they in fact cut the national draws, that makes it even tougher. So that was always a Kind of a big thing for me was I talked my kids into, you know, working towards that, getting into these level threes like the Copper Bowl tournaments like that. And that doesn't that exist both, anymore. Which I believe doesn't exist. And so, yes. you know, I'm trying to figure out a new way of motivating them, you know, to staying in the section's tough. Uh, so we, uh, and here in our section, we're very unique. I don't think, you know, we, we would never, ever have to stay in a hotel. I mean, we could drive anywhere we want and, you know, be back home that night and still get mm-hmm. all the competition we need, whereas I know most sections, there's quite a bit of travel and expense. I know where you're yeah, especially at. Especially in you've Southern, got, yes. It's yeah, crazy. I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of long car rides, maybe even plane rides. Yeah, uh, well, car rides you know, within the section, yeah. Car rides, yeah. So, you know, we don't have to. We actually choose to. You know, I'll take the kids on trips so that they learn to do that. You know, they get to go to, like, we'll go to Palm Springs or Santa Barbara, you know, try to make a weekend of it so they actually get to travel a little bit just to see what that's like. So, you know, we can we can drive less than an hour, two hours, and play all kinds of new people um, and be back home that night. So, you know, we do have that advantage here. Well, so what are you saying to these kids? I mean, you brought up a very good point about the depth of the strength in, in the Southern California section. Um, and, and with the quota system the way it is and – you know, the limited number of kids that do get endorsed into nationals, what do you say to that kid that that's, you know, yeah. maybe number 50 even or number 20 even in yeah. your section and is having trouble 
getting themselves into these national draws. I mean, I, I've written a bunch of articles about life on the alternate list. We we live on the <laughs> alternate list at our house, and and that's just at the sectional level, and it is no fun. Um, but I can't imagine living on the alternate list when it involves a plane trip um, to a national event. And, you know, so how? what are you as their coach telling them, what are you telling the parents to keep them motivated and wanting to play? Uh, yeah, I'm not real big on going on a plane for an alternate list, um, unless you're number one uh, on the alternate list. But some parents do. They do choose to do that. Um, you know, what, what I, the main thing that I tell my parents is that, you know, coaches around the country may not see you at a national, but they know if you're, you know, top 100 in Southern Cal, they know you can play. And, you know, most coaches around the country would love to have a Southern Cal kid on their team. So while they may not get the national exposure that they want, they, they know they are playing at that level. Um, a few years ago, I had a girl played for me who was, you know, 35 in the section and maybe 180, 200 in the country, and she got a full-ride scholarship, you know, to uh, Syracuse University. Wow. Uh, Jensen, you know, called. Luke, Luke said, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Luke. Well, you know, Luke's got an SC connection there. Um, yeah. He was friends with somebody who knew me, and he knew up Stevie, and he basically said, look, if this girl can hit ground strokes and can volley and come forward, I'll take her, and I said, Absolutely because that's what I teach. I teach everybody to come forward, even my girls. And uh, she went to Syracuse, had an incredible four years. Time of her life graduated, and now she's back here working. And, uh, you know, she's winning. You know, she was she was very frustrated here because she was that girl who kind of you just mentioned. She wasn't getting into the Super Nationals. She wasn't winning rounds, but she's, you know, grinding it out here in Southern Cal every weekend. And it ended up, you know, again, somebody made a call, somebody knew somebody, somebody introduced somebody, and uh, she went to Syracuse and had an incredible, incredible four years. That's fantastic. Well, this is a good segue to kind of talk about what Luke's doing at Syracuse. And um, for those who aren't familiar, Luke Jensen is the head coach at Syracuse, the women's coach. And he got hired as the coach with the understanding that he was only going to recruit American players to his team. And that was a big commitment that he has made and stuck to. Um, and so, you know, maybe we can we can chat a little, Steve, about what you see happening uh, at the co- collegiate level with our American kids um, who are now not just competing among each other for spots on these college teams, but really having to compete with international players who are are coming to play here. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty hot topic. I know Wayne Bryan gets on that one pretty good. Yes. Uh, I, I talked to <laughs> he Wayne. He and I have talked about that, yep. I'm sure you and Wayne have had some great conversations, and his conversations are awesome. Um Mostly Wayne and I are on the same page about everything, about with the ten and unders and, and such. I I have actually changed my mind about foreigners in college tennis, um, which is going to shock a lot of people who know me. But, you know, Peter Smith wanted to come to SC mm-hmm. and have five, seven, uh, six, seven California boys and win an NCAA title. That was his dream. Mm-hmm. And I personally think he could have done it every year. I mean, if you look at the kids we've put out the last several years. But, you know, nobody wants to come in and be six behind a kid they've played their whole life. And, you know, the money's really chopped up with men's tennis. You know, you get 20%, 30%. You know, if they get full right offers at other schools, that's a tough one for the parents to turn down. So sure. um, it's, it's it's changed for me because of where, Steve, again, everything I see is from where I'm at with my son. Him being a pretty good player without foreigners there wouldn't have been the level of competition that he needed to prepare him for the professional tour. So for us, it changed because those were some of the better matches he had. Um, Otherwise, maybe he would have turned pro earlier. Maybe he Mm -hmm. would have had to do that. But, you know, even though he did win the NCAAs twice and have that incredible winning streak, it wasn't easy. I mean, he was tested every week. And so... 
we felt it was not a step backwards. We did not feel he would regress in college. We felt he would get better. Um, if we didn't feel that, then Peter Smith would have been the first to tell you that he should go pro. But he stayed motivated. The streak, you know, the three in a row. I mean, there were so many things there to motivate him to absolutely stay because this has only happened one other time, you know, with Paul Goldstein and those Stanford teams that he was on that were so good during his time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the foreigners bring another level. Now, if you do notice lately, the groups before Stevie were all told by the USTA to turn pro. None of them went to college. And that's when the foreigners were winning NCAAs. And if you look now, the last several years, an American has won it. Ever since Stevie's been there, an American won it every year. Devin Britton won it, Bradley Klein, and Stevie twice. Because the kids did start to go to college. Starting with Stevie's year, most of the kids have gone to college for at least a year or two or maybe four. So I, I think Stevie's year started this change where the kids realized, you know what, that whole group ahead of us didn't ever really make a dent in professional tennis. And maybe we're not ready. Maybe we aren't ready to play at that level. And if you look now, the average age of the top 10 is like 27, 28. Right. You know, there's no more teenagers winning Grand Slams. I believe there's one teenager now in the top 200. Last time I checked, there was one teenager mm-hmm. in the top 200 for the men's tour. So, And even on the women's side. Even the, women's the women's side, side is also very getting, few teenagers. Yeah. So, you know, from day one with me, you know, I just, I've I watched, you know, my whole thing with, my, with Stevie was I always saw what not to do. I watched parents and what they did with their kids. And, you know, there isn't a blueprint, like I said, but I just, I always saw what not to do. And I saw so many kids, you know, that were, some of them weren't as accomplished as Stevie was, and they would turn pro. And, you know, they'd never get above 500. You know, they'd be playing futures, where if you're playing futures, you're 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 spending money. Right. And you've got to be in the top 200 to actually make any money. And you got to be in the top 100 to do well. So, um it's pretty tough to do that, and I don't know the you know the the male doesn't you know peak until twenty seven twenty eight and most guys get about ten years in a career, so I've always figured why go out before twenty two that way you've got five years before your peak and five years after i don't I don't want my kid to turn pro at seventeen and at his tenth year be peaking physically and maturing and have it be done right so that right. was just, that was just my little you know, something I came up with years ago, and Stevie was never against that. He was fine. He wanted to go to school. It was never an issue with us. So. Well, and, I mean, I think what's what we're seeing now is more kids would like to, to follow that path to, to play in college, yeah. but the opportunities are so limited. We're seeing college programs, yeah. You know, being slashed, we're seeing, I mean, especially on the men's side with only four and a half scholarships, um, the amount of money available to the family is yeah. shrinking. And um, and then on top of that, you know, you filter in uh, the, the opportunity for international players to come and be on a team, and that also cuts into the slots available to our American juniors. So... It's it's really a, an uphill battle that families, you know, have to fight. And I'm not sure how many people realize that, you know, getting a full ride to college, especially, again, for boys, it's a little bit easier on the female side, but especially for boys, um, you know, college, playing tennis because you think college is going to be paid for is not the right reason to play tennis. <laughs> that is <laughs> correct. You need to have that, another reason. <laughs> absolutely. That, for, for the girls, it's a little more realistic. For the boys, you know, that, that's true. And I tell the parents that right up front, is that, you know, uh, very few guys get full rides. Um, Stevie didn't get a full ride his first two years. You know? Well, and not even not a full ride, but, I mean, I talked to one, one parent whose son's getting a 10% scholarship. Yep. Yep. Ten percent. That way they get in. Well, they they do that. That way the coach can get them in. Right. You know, we, you know I've heard of one percent scholarships. Yeah. Because the kid wanted to go, the coach didn't have any money, but this way the kid could get in, and hopefully develop and be a part of the team. But yeah, the reality is it's very difficult. And you know, to speak again, speaking for what I know about USC, the last few years, 
we've had the top, we've had the boy who was number ten in the United States, who has won gold balls in singles and doubles, and he doesn't start. Right. You know, you know, so that's right. that, that's pretty tough. So, you know, you can you just look at that and go, wow, how how good is college tennis? You know, I, th- I think it speaks volumes for how good college tennis is that the competition is there, which does, in fact, as you said, make it so difficult. Then you factor in foreigners coming over. I mean, we had we had boys on the SCT last year, Roberto Quiroz, who's you know he's won Grand Slam titles and doubles. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had three of our boys. They played Davis Cup for their country. Right. And they're playing three, four, five, six. And uh, you know, all the schools have the same thing. They, you know, the top schools. I'm talking, you know, Ohio State, Georgia, UCLA. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the competition is fierce just to make the top six at those schools. Well, and the good news though is that there, the depth of programs is pretty tremendous in this country. You don't have to go to USC or Ohio State or Georgia or Stanford to get phenomenal coaching, phenomenal competition at the collegiate level. I mean, there's so many really high-level players and high-level coaches at the mid-majors and even at the D2 and D3 schools and even at the junior college level. Sure. you know, and one of one of the things that that I keep throwing out with my son is, and and my son has grown up a Georgia Bulldog fan, and you know his dream in life is to go play for Manny. Um, but you know, one of the things I keep saying to him is, even if you don't get to go there and play as a freshman, there's no reason that you can't go somewhere else for a year or two and get your game where it needs to be so that you can transfer there. And coaches do look for transfer students. I mean, they see who's performing well in the other conferences or at the other levels of of competition and, and bring them in as transfers. So um, certainly Georgia has done that. We've seen it. And, and I know other schools do the same thing. So I think that's an important piece that a lot of kids and, and maybe parents, too, don't think about, you know, they think, oh, my kid's got to get in this school as a freshman, and, you know, if they don't, then, well, maybe they just won't play tennis at all. But there, right. there's such a, there's so many different levels of playing college tennis. Absolutely. So, well, so for is, your players, oh, go ahead. At USC, I guess, you know, earlier I think I said, it, it's amazing how every year since I've been a part of it, the year before CB went there, and now, you know, through his time, every year somebody came in and left because they realized they couldn't play there. But, you know, they went there absolutely certain they would be top six. Mm-hmm. And then it just didn't work out. So then they moved on to other programs and played, and I'm assuming had a great time. So it's hard because you don't know. You know, you, you think you can play. Um, I think I mentioned something to you in Athens last year in our little you know panel that I think some coaches are very unrealistic what they tell the parents because they want to make them happy so that they keep writing them a check to keep taking lessons. Uh, but when it comes down to it, if they're not ready, it's just not going to happen. And that becomes you're talking tricky. about the junior you're talking about the junior coaches. Uh, yeah. Coaches. You know, the junior yeah. coaches, you know, they'll they'll tell the mom or the dad, "Oh yeah, you know, if you take lessons with me, I can get him a ride to this school or that school and you know, he can play at a Virginia or an SC or a Georgia and you know, like I said, I got kids I've I've seen kids who are top ten in the country who don't start, and they're pretty talented kids, um, and they're working their way in, trying to get into that lineup. You know, they're a great part of the team. They still play. They practice. Uh, a couple times they had to step in when somebody was hurt, and it was great to have that level. You know, not uh, you know to not have a big drop off, but you know I think the kids want to play. Sure. And so it's it's critical they get to the right place, and sometimes I I don't think the information they're getting is realistic. Or they're just not realistic themselves. Um, and so, as a junior coach, what are what are you know? How do you help these kids figure out where they belong? I mean, <laughs> well, and, and how do you convince the parents yeah. <laughs> that that you're right? <laughs> um, well, if I knew, yeah, I wish I wish I knew that answer, Lisa. Uh, I, <laughs> what I do is I upset people. Uh, a couple of my friends, we talk about it when we get together, and you know, I lose business because of my, what I think is being honest. 
and other guys get business because they'll tell them what they want to hear. But I just can't do it that way. So when they tell me what they're looking at, I then it's been easy for me because these are all the kids Stevie grew up with. So I was very familiar with these kids. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I could tell them. I go, well, you know, the kid who plays number six at UC Irvine played every super national from 12s through 18s. And, you know, your child has not quite yet qualified for a super national. And so them thinking of them going to a SC of Virginia, a Stanford, is really unrealistic no matter what they tell them. So I, I just have numbers. I show them who's playing six at different schools. You know, Irvine's a great school. You know, uh, most kids would love to play there. But they're right. not, you know, they're not playing for titles. And so if their child isn't even close to what the number six guy is there, I'm sorry, but I just say, look, this is great, but there are other schools. There's plenty of other programs that would love to have your child and where he could play, have a great, you know, great college experience, which, you know, it's kind of funny. I didn't, I never did this for Stevie to turn pro. I never did this for him to get a scholarship. It was just because he had fun. He had fun. He liked doing it. He loves to compete. And it just kept leading to other things. We didn't actually have a blueprint for him to go to SC to turn pro to do that. It was always our dream. You know, we joke and say, you'll play there someday and you'll win a Grand Slam someday and whatever. But, you know, who knows? Maybe it will. But it was always about just him having fun and competing and getting better. And, uh, well, and I think a lot of us lose sight of the fun factor. And, and it's easy to lose sight of it when... Oh, yeah you're spending tens of thousands of dollars a year on your child's activity. You're giving up a lot of family time to take them to tournaments. They're giving up, you know, all sorts of stuff. I mean, my son's also in school, um, but luckily attends a public school that allows him to compress his school day. So he he actually goes to school an hour early and gets out early. um, That's great. Yeah, that's a great way of doing it. Yeah, it's awesome, except they still don't let him miss school, you know. So if he misses for a tournament, um, they don't really care where he was. All they know is he wasn't at school and he was supposed to be. So so we still do have that piece of it to deal with, um, you know, which is which is a challenge. But but these kids, you know, they give up a lot to choose this sport. It's very different from playing a team sport um, where, you know, you, you it's it's a, it's just a different level of commitment. So um, I think the fun factor, as you say, just tends to get lost a lot of time. And I think it's, you know, one of the biggest challenges for me personally as a mom is trying to remember that, you know, I, why did I take my son for that very first tennis lesson? What was the impetus behind that? You know, yep. and reminding myself of that, that this was never about college or professional tennis. This was just about him learning to play the game that I grew up playing right. and wanting him to have, you know, an acceptable skill level so that he would be able to, as a 49-year-old, join his neighborhood tennis team like I've done and, you know, have fun and go out to lunch after or sit and have a few beers or whatever, Um you know, and I, I think that's a big challenge, and I, I think a lot of the junior coaches um, also forget the fun factor and, and get so caught up in, you know, who's playing where and how how many kids does that coach have there and how do I get that many kids there. Um, so it sounds like you, you really have a good handle on that and, and are able to pass that along. So um, as a mom, I say thank you to you for that because... Well, well I, I think uh, what you said is so true. It's just, you know, people get caught up in things. You know, they, you know, how much does that kid eat? What does he drink? What time does he go to bed? I mean, you know, they're they're asking questions to the mother. Our joke around here is the smartest person at every term is the mother of the number one player. Right. You know, and, and she's always the busiest because everybody's asking her, what time does your kid go to bed? Where does he play? How does he practice? Who does he hit with? And again, there, there's no blueprint. You know, that even, it doesn't matter what they do. Maybe their kids just grew early. Maybe their kids are stronger. I mean, who knows? Things change. But I, and I've lost a lot of kids here because you know I tell the parents, just relax, sit back, enjoy your kid playing, and they'll look at me and go, "We're going somewhere else because you don't care or you don't take it serious enough." And then you know they go somewhere else, and then you find out you see the kids miserable. Next thing you know, they're not playing. 
because it all became a business. You know, mm-hmm. I'm spending this much money. The fact is, you will spend way more money trying to get a scholarship than you'll get with a scholarship. I mean, For that's sure. A fa- that's a fact, and I am very upfront about that. They they put out some numbers the other day about what it costs to get a kid to a Division One scholarship. And it's well more than you'd ever pay for tennis lessons, clinics, and travel. So, again, if it's not being done for the fun to see what the kid can accomplish, then I think that's that's a negative. And the kids know it. They feel it. Um, you know, it's pretty tough to be at a supernational, watch a kid who barely got in. He's out there in the first round, and it's, you know, six one three zero, and the kid's got this look in his eye. He's just frozen. I can't believe it. I'm going to get beat 1-0. and you know, my mom's here. My dad had to give up his vacation. You know, there's a lot of stress um, as well. And so the fun can be hard to find. It, it can definitely be tricky um, with all the commitment. Now, one thing that with us, we never, ever thought that we sacrificed or gave anything up, you know, to leave on Christmas Day or to be gone at Easter or whatever, we just always thought this is what you do. If you're good enough, you're very fortunate to leave Christmas Day to go to Tucson or Phoenix. So I think a lot of people do look at it as what they're giving up, and I think you have to be careful with that. It's, you know, it's it, it, it's not necessarily giving up. It's what you're dreaming to do. And, uh, you know, the kids I have all want a chance to be in Arizona, you know, right. Christmas, you know, for the Supernational. So, um, you know, only a few make it. And I uh, hear, like I said, maybe a few less are going to be making it in the future. So. Sadly, yeah, yeah, that is seems to be what's coming. But, but I mean that that's such a good point um, about thinking about it in terms of not what you're giving up, but that you have this opportunity to follow a dream and and take it to the next level. I I I am guilty of the focusing on the giving up part. Um, I, I tend to do that <laughs> quite a bit, and my husband, who is not a tennis player and not an athlete, even more so than I do, um, he just, you know, sometimes uh, doesn't quite understand what what's involved, but um, he tries real hard. He does try real yeah. hard. <laughs> well, but you know, it, when, when I was growing, you know, when he was growing up and I was with him, you know, and I would tell people what we did, most people would say, wow, I can't believe you do that. That's, wow, I would never do that. You know, they thought mm-hmm. of it as a sacrifice, you know, to be gone on all the holidays. But, you know, they try to put the supernationals around when the kids are out of school as best they can. Um, so it's – but I totally get it. I mean, it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of – there is a big expense. Um, you know, I've, I've heard all kinds of numbers. I know what it cost me, and I'm not paying – I didn't pay for lessons. You know, I didn't pay for clinics, so right, I had right. it easy, you know. I just, I lost time when I left, you know, from working because, you know, I teach tennis, so when I'm not there, I don't earn a living. But um, some of these parents were telling me they were spending $75,000 a year. Sure. You know, in uh, in sections, you know, that are much larger where it's car rides, plane rides, hotel visits, and uh, that's, that's a that's a commitment. And so I, I understand how you can get caught up in that. That's a lot. Um, and then, you know, if you get beat first round, go in the back draw and lose, I mean, that's that's a tough ride home. Yes. That's 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 not easy. I totally understand that. Uh, you know, most of my kids, you know, that I work with that, you know, I've dealt with, you know, weren't winning everything. I mean, you know, Stevie was the unusual one. You know, that was the one. The rest of my kids were more, you know, trying to get in, trying to get in there, trying to get around in the back draw and uh, just watching them fight and then try to get it, but, you know, enjoying it and try to get to the next one. And hopefully they got there. So it, it is a very as, difficult one. But as their coach, how did you keep them motivated for from week to week? I guess that always fascinates me. Uh, and my son went through a period like that where, yeah. you know, he was thrilled to win a match in the backdrop. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was always amazed that he still wanted to go play tennis the next day. Well, that sounds like he's got a great, uh, great way of thinking about it. It's, you know, you're 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 always got another chance to play. You always have no chance to win. You you always think you'll win the next one. Um, I've had very few kids who I think I had to motivate to keep going. If I felt I did, or if I felt their parents were the ones that wanted it, you know, they'd end up going away. They drift away anyways. Um, 
But you know, they just they just enjoyed the competing. They enjoyed being around the other kids. Um, I, I think I think they were very healthy in the way that they thought about it, what it was for. So it's it's a it's a tough one, and you know, being a parent as you are, it's really rough when all you can do is watch. I mean, I always tell people that I love being a tennis coach. I'm very lucky, but it's the hardest coaching job ever because I can't coach. I can't go affect right. the match. I can't talk to him. Like every other coach in every other sport gets to go do something, call a timeout. <laughs> I have to just watch and That's just true. for the next time. So. You know, it's very hard to watch and uh, tricky, tricky sometimes. You know, it gets uh, it gets tougher, and then the deeper you go into the tournament, you know, the losses are tougher, and, you know, you, you get ahead, you end up up a set, up a break, and you lose, and, um, boy, it's tough. And uh, But the kids seem to do a great job. You know, they just they can't wait for the next one, and let's get back to work, and let's see what we can do next time. So uh, I think that's awesome when they can do that. Well, and I think, you know, it's important um, for us as parents to recognize if our child has that quality or doesn't have that quality yeah. of wanting to go back the next day. Because, like you said, if if they don't want to go back after a tough loss, then maybe this isn't the sport they need to pursue at that level. Maybe they need to, you know, enjoy playing at a recreational level and maybe there's something else um, they want to take to a higher level, you know. Yeah. Maybe tennis is not the the thing for them. Yeah. Um, as you said, so, there there are a lot of parents who are, you know, the kids are playing for the parents instead of themselves, right. and that's the sad. You know, way. a team sport is it's so much easier. Like I always, you know, tell the parents, I go, it's a lot easier when the soccer team loses because they also go get pizza. Right. Win or lose, they all go get pizza. You know, they all get in their Together. cars. Together. And in tennis, when you lose, you get in the car with your mom or your dad, and you've got to drive home. Yes. And that that's tough. So yeah, I think it, I think tennis attracts a certain individual. I think tennis appeals to a lot of people, and then I think it chews them up and spits them out. <laughs> especially at every, at every at every level you go higher, it's tougher. You know, it's just it's tougher and tougher. And I, yeah, you, know, you got to be able to lose and still want it badly, and that's that's not for everybody. Definitely not. Well, we're coming down to our last two minutes of the show, and and you know as we we're nearing the end. Gosh, I've I've learned so much listening to you today, and and I, I as I knew I would after meeting you in Athens, I I knew you were somebody I I had a lot to learn from. So thank you for sharing all of your knowledge and expertise. But um, I. You know, I, I, it will be interesting to to kind of check in with you from time to time, if you don't mind my doing that. As he progresses on on his professional career, um, you know, will you stay involved with him from a coaching side, or or will you just simply be the dad that stands cheering every time he hits a great shot, or where where do you see your role as he moves um, forward? Well, so far, I have been the dad in the stands. Um, you know, when he's gone playing, I just watch him online. You know, I have that app on my phone so I can watch the live scoring. Um, mm-hmm. If it's online, I watch it. Um, I went to the Open, but, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not planning on going to Australia. I mean, I have a jogger at the club, and uh, I'm hoping to see him on TV. But uh, he's got coaching now uh, with uh, the USTA, David mm-hmm. Mankin, and some really smart people who can help him. And uh, he's got... Rodney Marshall training him, and uh, I think he'll do well. So I'm just, I'm just kind of dad. I mean, it's, it's probably the role I'm supposed to be. I'd love to coach, but you know, it's, uh, it's in his hands now, and he's doing great. And I'm just enjoying what, what, what it's all becoming. So that's fantastic. Well, we wish him the best of luck. I will definitely be following him in Australia, um, online or on TV, wherever the case may be. We we cheer for our Trojan boy, so um, love that. Very nice. And um, I hope to see him. Maybe he'll come play the BB&T Atlanta uh, tournament next summer. That would be really great. Yeah. That's that's an awesome event, the kickoff of the U.S. Open Series. So yeah. thank you again. We're down to our last second or two, and I just want to say thank you so much to you. I wish you and your family a very happy holiday and uh, please let Stevie know the Parenting Aces community is behind him as he heads down to Australia. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, Lisa.
Thank you. Thank you. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, visit us online at parentingaces.com. As always, a huge thank you to our sponsor, tennisballs.com.